Good morning. Scripture reading today is going to be coming from the book of Ephesians. It's chapter 1 in verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his grace, I'm sorry, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Good morning. Welcome to the Brookside Campus of Christ Community. My name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy now for me to be able to lead us in a a time of of teaching now that we've heard the word to to unpack that a little bit and see what God is trying to communicate both to the people he first spoke it to and to us today um, through those words. Uh, And as we get started, uh, if you have your Bible still open, please keep it open to Ephesians 1. If you close that and put it right in the front again, uh, pull it back out or pull out a Bible you brought with you. Meet me in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's most of the way through your Bible. If you need to use the table of contents, uh, that's perfectly fine to find that as well. Um, But Ephesians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church that he helped start. So he helped start this church in a city called Ephesus, which is located in modern-day Turkey. So over kind of in that area, way back in the day, Paul helped start a church. And since then, Paul has found himself landed in prison, and he writes the letter of Ephesians, many scholars believe, from prison to this church that he helped start with the goal of encouraging them and reminding them of who they are in Christ and how they should live in light of that reality. And we're beginning a new series this morning, walking through this letter. So for the next several weeks, most of the fall, all the way up until Advent, we are going to be walking through, step by step, this letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you haven't, just as a reminder uh, to follow along with us, uh, grab a formed life journal uh, to help you follow along in kind of personal reflection with this series as we go through it. That'll walk you through this whole series. So those are in the back. Uh, So just don't forget to grab one of those. Uh, We're going to be walking through Ephesians for most of this fall. And we're calling this new series that we're going to be in Reconstructing Faith. Reconstructing Faith. It's increasingly common to hear someone describe their faith journey like this. I'm in a season of deconstruction. I'm in a season 
of deconstruction. Now, when someone says that, what they mean is something along these lines. I am calling into question the worldview that I first received. I'm calling that first worldview that I've received and believed into question. I'm dismantling the beliefs, the values, the ideas that up until this point I had just accepted about reality. For many, this is a period of serious doubt and questioning of of their foundational faith. Now, we typically use this word deconstruction to describe someone who's leaving behind a faith that's more traditional or conservative. But it's important to realize that all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds can and do go through a process that we could call deconstruction. A.J. Swoboda, who's a pastor and author in Portland, which is maybe the city of deconstruction in, in America, observes this. He says, deconstruction can happen to atheists, Christians, conservatives, progressives, traditionalists, complementarians, egalitarians, even doubters. No one is safe. And to support this idea, he draws on developmental psychology and his own experience as a pastor to kind of highlight three fundamental stages of a belief journey. So I want to just take some time to get on the same page so that we're on the same page with what we mean when we talk about this journey of reconstructing. He says there are three fundamental stages to a journey of belief, whatever those beliefs are. First, he says, you have the stage of construction. The stage of construction is the first phase. In construction, what happens is you are handed some some building blocks and a template to make a worldview or to, to build a worldview out of. Usually you're given those building blocks from your family or you might have been given them from a faith community, a church you grew up in, or even a school that you attended. So you, you usually you get this basic structure of belief and, and you just accept it, you assume it, you, you trust it with very little questioning or doubt. Usually the beliefs that are passed on to you in that early phase of your life during construction are beliefs that are more black and white, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because you need something kind of clear to start building a view of the world on. That's the, the phase of construction. It's pretty self-explanatory. Second, Swoboda says you move from a stage of construction to a stage of deconstruction. So over time, and many of you have probably experienced this, the longer that you, you hold those first beliefs that you had, you begin to realize that the faith or the worldview that you constructed during the stage of construction isn't perfect. You realize that we can't receive anything good in this world without risking the chance that it's been influenced by the broken world we live in and the broken people we live with. So you start to see all the problems, right? You see all the, the problems with the traditions that you were given. And you begin to question and doubt and discern, examining and maybe even completely dismantling some of your previously held values and ideas. That's deconstruction. Now, it's worth noting that in many ways, this is a good and important process. We need to develop an eye as human beings to think critically and to critically rethink our beliefs. I know this has been true for me, but I would suggest that all of us, in one degree or another, in one way or another, have deconstructed a belief system 
that you held when you were younger. I would guess that all of us have done that to some degree. There are also many biblical examples of, of people in the Bible who deconstructed their, their beliefs in a healthy way. The Hebrew prophets are a great example of this. The Hebrew prophets deconstructed a lot of the, the pillars of the Jewish culture that had become warped or twisted or marred by sin. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians that we're starting, had to deconstruct some of his beliefs if he was going to encounter Jesus and change his life. Even Jesus himself throughout his life, you'll see him removing some of the structures of the Jewish faith that had been skewed by the the culture and the traditions of his generation. There are many biblical examples of a healthy form of thinking critically about our beliefs. Now, stage of deconstruction. So you have construction, you have deconstruction, and you guessed that the third stage that Swoboda stresses in his book is is the stage of reconstruction. Reconstruction. When we reconstruct, what we do is we begin to rebuild our faith based on the wisdom of those around us and who came before us. We begin to rebuild something. So we've been through that season where we're, we're questioning, we're doubting, we're challenging, we're poking and prodding our beliefs, and it's been exhausting, it's been disorienting. But in reconstruction, we're beginning to reemerge and return having discerned what in our faith is good and true and beautiful still, and what maybe in our faith was something that had been corrupted by sin. When we're in the phase of reconstruction, that doesn't mean we have everything figured out, but we have a humble confidence in what we believe. We have a posture of trust and joy again in our faith that has been refined by fire. So you have construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. And so Avoda would say this is kind of the typical journey of someone who's working through their belief system. Another pastor uh, and author also in Portland, his name's John Mark Comer, notes that our culture lives primarily in stages one and two with very little stage three. So if you look at the world around us, you'll see a lot of stage one, a lot of stage two, very little stage three. Here's what he says. I think this is really profound. He says there's a conservative version of stage one. That's the bumper sticker that says the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. This doesn't allow space for doubt or questions or emotion or data points that don't align with your theological system, and it confuses one's interpretation of the Bible with the Bible itself. That's the conservative version of stage one. Then he goes on to say there's a progressive version of stage one where people parrot the fad lingo of various ideologies. People unthinkingly accept ideas that are full of contradiction and bias just because everyone's saying it on Instagram. And just like conservatives, do not allow space for doubt or questions. You are labeled a heretic, and you are shamed if you even dare to question the dogma. But overall, he says, we're in a stage two culture where a lot of people kind of move through that. You know, you can only stay zealous for so long, and then they get stuck in a kind of limbo, more against certain things than for anything specific, more doubt than faith, more skepticism than confidence. Then he says, very few of us are stage three, those beautiful people who have a deep conviction about God and Scripture and reality and morality, 
And they also have a high capacity for how strange and broken and confusing and ambiguous the human condition is. And they live with a high capacity for paradox, but with a deep humility and wisdom and compassion, but also with a burning conviction. A lot of stage one, a lot of stage two, very little stage three. Now here's what I hope you see as we begin this series. The problem we are facing today, the crisis we are facing today, is not deconstruction, but deconstruction without reconstruction. In other words, deconstruction as an end in itself, as the end goal. So we dismantle, but we never rebuild. Instead of abandoning wrong beliefs, we abandon our faith altogether. Faith deconstruction without faith reconstruction is faith destruction. And that's not the goal. One of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, muses that merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. But sadly, just personally, I've heard too many stories of people who have ended up in a place that was no better than the one they left because they never shut their mouth again on anything solid. So we're looking at Ephesians this fall with an eye towards this particular question. What does reconstructing faith look like? How do we question and doubt in a healthy way? What is a solid foundation for rebuilding our lives and faith on? Or maybe you'd say you're here this morning and you're not in a season where you need to rebuild. What's a solid foundation to continue to build our faith and our lives on? What does reconstructing faith look like? Some of you just aren't in that place this morning. You're not in a place where you're in a season that you'd say, I'm deconstructing, I'm questioning, I'm wrestling. You're not there. Some of you might not be there, and maybe you tend to be tempted to be a little dismissive of people who are. Some of you are here, and you're right in the throes of it this morning. Some of you have been there in the past and come through it. Some of you aren't there now, but will be in the future. Most of us have family and friends who are there. Some of you might be here because you're deconstructing another worldview by constructing a faith in Jesus for the first time. But wherever you would say you are in your spiritual journey, one of our goals in this series as we work through Ephesians is to walk that journey of reconstructing faith together as a church family. So this morning, we're going to get our feet at a solid starting place for reconstructing faith. Where do you start even in this process? And here's what we see at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Reconstructing faith begins and ends in Christ. Reconstructing faith begins and ends in Christ. The passage that that Chris read for us this morning is an incredibly dense and rich text. And part of that is because it's Paul's introduction to the letter. So typically in an introduction, Paul will take some time to preview most of the themes that he'll unpack in the rest of the letter. So most of the stuff that he mentions here uh, is stuff we're going to look at in depth in the coming weeks. But what jumps off the page immediately, at least to me, in this introduction, is the number of times that Paul uses the phrase, in Christ. 
No less than 11 times in these 14 verses, Paul addresses the idea of something happening in Christ or through Christ or being placed under Christ's authority. So I'm just going to read this passage again, and if you have your Bible open, I'd love for you to follow along. It's also going to be on the screen. And as I read it, I just want you to pay attention to everything and every instance where Paul says that something is true in Christ. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and that'll be what's up here as well. Um, so, So let's just hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the worlds to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see already, how central this idea of being in Christ is to Paul. Verse 3 could really be a summary statement of this entire section for him. So let's read that again. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on after verse 3 to unpack those blessings. So he says, We are chosen predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. We've received the Holy Spirit. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We've been lavished with grace. We're God's special possession. All of this, all of these blessings are ours in Christ and through Christ. That phrase, in Christ, implies something along the lines of being united to Jesus. Being united to Jesus is an incredibly relational idea. That those who trust Jesus are united to him like a husband and a wife are united to each other in marriage. We are in him, and he is in us. We identify with Jesus, and he identifies with us. We participate in his suffering and death and resurrection and ascension. We become a part of his body, his family. 
This is a deeply intimate union where we share the life of Jesus as he shares his life with us. It's an incredible idea to be in Christ, united to him. But what Paul is emphasizing here is actually something even bigger than our own personal union with Jesus, as remarkable as that is. No, here's the idea, is that everything in human history, everything that we have been generously given by God, everything that God has done and will do is centered on Christ. Another way to say it is to say it like this, the entire Christian life is defined in Christ. The entire Christian life is defined in Christ. There is no faith without Christ. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Paul names here. He says, this is a mystery. (laughs) Faith is a mystery. There are things that are confusing and paradoxical and hard to understand. It's mysterious. But to use Chesterton's metaphor, Paul will say there is nothing solid to close your mouth on if Christ isn't part of the picture. Which is why reconstructing faith must begin in Christ. Now, here's why this is important. I have heard story after story of person after person who is in a season, stage two, of deconstructing their faith. I've sat with people who have questioned Christianity, who have doubted God, who have processed their trauma surrounding church. But what I have almost never heard is this. I am deconstructing my faith because of Jesus. What I see in the person of Jesus is just something that I can't accept to be true. Instead, I hear stories of people being hurt by other Christians. I hear stories of people being abused by spiritual leaders or whose churches have fallen apart because of unhealthy pastors. I hear stories of people whose experiences of suffering don't line up with a God who is good. I hear stories of people whose longing for answers has been met with unhelpful platitudes or avoided and ignored altogether. But I rarely hear of the person who is deconstructing their faith because of Jesus. But here's the sad thing. Most people who start on this journey of deconstruction because of unhealthy churches, abusive leaders, or philosophical doubts end up abandoning Jesus altogether. So the good news for each of us then, wherever we locate ourselves on that journey of faith, is that reconstructing faith begins and ends in Christ. In other words, to get started rebuilding our faith and lives on something solid, we have to start with the person of Jesus and what is true of us if we are united to him. That's where we have to start. There's other stuff that we struggle with that I just named that will either find its place or be removed for good from the structure, but if we don't build on the firm foundation of Christ, our faith won't ever make it through the desert of deconstruction. Paul says that everything that has to do with a strong and vibrant faith has to begin with who Christ is and who we are when we belong to him. Reconstructing faith begins and ends in Christ who gives every spiritual blessing to those who build their lives on him. So what I want to do with the last few minutes we have together is I just want to quickly touch on three foundational blessings that anchor those who build their lives on Jesus. Three blessings that Paul names here. 
Again, these are previews of ideas that we'll unpack more fully in coming weeks, so we're not going to spend a ton of time on them. But these three foundational blessings are foundational for reconstructing faith that begins and ends in Christ first. So here's the first one. In Christ, we are blessed with a better identity. In Christ, we are blessed with a better identity. I was talking with my counselor this week, so about to get vulnerable here. (laughs) I was talking with my counselor this week about the various ways that he helped me realize I have tried to construct different identities to mask my fear that I might be unlovable if people knew the real me. I wanted to be known as an all-conference football player or a skilled tennis player or a state champion debater or a talented actor or a strong musician or a good preacher. I feel seen right now. Someone who knew a lot about the Bible, a Tolkien enthusiast. And I looked to all of these things to give me some sort of constructed identity because I was afraid that if people knew the real me, I would be unlovable. So I tried to build my life on those things. And we all can do the same thing. We define ourselves with all different kinds of things, by our status, by our wealth, by the groups we're associated with, our ethnicity, our religion, our achievements, our abilities, our activities or schools that we're connected to, political leanings, our work, all kinds of things. But as good as those things can be in your life, they can't define us at the heart of who we are. Why not? Well, if you define yourself by your wealth or status, what happens when it goes away? Who are you then? If you define yourself by your looks or abilities, what happens when those deteriorate over time? Newsflash, those are going to deteriorate over time. Who are you then? If you define yourself by the sports you play, what happens when you get injured? Who are you then? If you define yourself by your success and achievement, what happens when you fail? Who are you then? If you define yourself by your work, what happens when your business goes under, or you lose your job, or you hate your job? Who are you then? All of these things, if you make them your core identity, will wreck your value and worth if they're shaken or lost. You'll unravel. So what Paul wants the Ephesians to do at the start of this letter is anchor themselves in the identity they've been given in Christ because that is unshakable. It isn't an identity that he gives them that's an identity of some Christian subculture, which is often what we try to deconstruct. So it's not an evangelical or a progressive or a mainline or a conservative identity. It's an identity that sounds like this. I am chosen. I was considered by God before the world was made. I am redeemed. I am free. I am forgiven. I am adopted. I am someone who is beloved by God. I'm a recipient of grace. I have an inheritance waiting for me. I am someone in whom God's spirit makes his home. I'm God's treasured possession, all of these things that Paul lists. And if we are going to begin the journey of reconstructing faith or continuing to build on a faith that's already there, We have to start by seeing that these blessings in Christ define us more than anything else. They're a better identity. So if you are someone, let me just speak to you right now, if you're someone who's in a place where you'd say you're going through some deconstruction, can I just encourage you? Don't let the behavior of humans make you sacrifice the blessing of Jesus. 
Don't let the behavior of humans make you sacrifice those blessings of Jesus because in Christ we are blessed with a better identity. So let it ground you. Let it ground you. Let that identity anchor you more than anything else as you rebuild or continue to build on your faith. Here's the second. In Christ, we are blessed with a broader family. We are blessed with a broader family. In verse 4, Paul places prominence on the fact that in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. We've been made part of his family, and it's a family that's, that's broader and encompasses more people than we've had before. As we'll see in a few weeks, it's a family that includes people from every background and ethnic group and socioeconomic status and more. We are blessed with a broader family. The idea is this. If, if I'm in Christ, and you are in Christ, and Christ is in me, and Christ is in you, then we're a spiritual family. Amen. We are all beloved by God. We share that. We've all been made brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus. We share that. God's Spirit, His presence with us, guarantees that together we will one day receive an inheritance. We could also say it like this. All people who are united belong in the family of faith. All people who are united to Jesus belong in the family of faith. Because in Christ, we have been given a family that is broader, deeper, and more binding than any other. So here's the encouragement then. Let it embrace you. Let that family embrace you. Here's the thing that breaks my heart, if I can just be honest. This is the thing that breaks my heart. Church hasn't sometimes been a place that is safe for some of us. It hasn't been a safe place to process the claims of Jesus. Some of us have been treated poorly by other Christians, or we have spiritual leaders who have been part of the problem. And it breaks my heart because so many of us are left wondering if we can ever trust again. How can you trust a church family after you've been hurt by a church? How can you trust a pastor? How can you trust me? Maybe you're like, dude, I don't. <laughs> I don't trust you. <laughs> How can you trust a pastor or a leader if you have trauma from a previous spiritual leader? So first, if this describes you, let me just say, I'm sorry. The church hasn't often done well in this area, and it's because of our pride. We haven't allowed enough space for doubt and questions in a healthy way. Second, if this describes you, I invite you to stick around after service today. We're going to have a licensed counselor come in and talk through kind of finding healing through church hurt or spiritual trauma. So you can just stick around after service. You don't have to have registered. We'll have extra pizza, and you can just stick around and hear from him. So I invite you to that. And then third, I want to kindly and graciously challenge you. If you're in that process of deconstruction, don't walk through the desert of modern skepticism alone. Walk together. Walk with some people who are also there and with some guides who have been to the other side who can help you along. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Let's struggle with building and rebuilding our faith together. And for those of you who would say you are in a sure and confident place with your faith, let me challenge you. Let's be the kind of caring family that can walk with others who are struggling with grace and compassion and humility. 
Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, and no matter how much others have tried to convince you otherwise, you belong, even in the middle of your doubt and questioning, you belong in the family of God. If you begin reconstructing in Christ, you are part of a broader family of all kinds of people from all different walks of life. Let that family embrace you and walk with you on the path through deconstruction to reconstruction. Reconstructing faith begins and ends in Christ. And in Christ, we are blessed with a better identity and a broader family. And finally, in Christ, we are blessed with a beautiful story. We are blessed with a beautiful story. As you read the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, you can't help but notice just the majestic way that Paul highlights the grand plan and purpose and will of God. Everything that he mentions here, all of those identities, every piece of this is tied to a larger, more beautiful story. The story of God's involvement in human history through Jesus. From the moments before the universe was created, he says, to the moments when the universe will be redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. All of it is a larger, more beautiful story. Paul says all things one day will be summed up in Christ and all things one day will be made new in Christ. God is writing a beautiful story of cosmic and personal redemption and restoration of every single thing through Jesus. So not only does everything begin with Christ, everything also ends in Christ. And the incredible news is this. For those of us whose identity is grounded in those blessings we have in him, For those of us who have been adopted and embraced by the broader family of faith, this beautiful story, this grand cosmic story becomes your story. God graciously invites your individual story with all its uniqueness, with all of its mess, with all of its joy to be a part of the story of renewal and redemption for all people and all creation in Christ. Here's the thing. We will always be on the defensive if we want God to be part of our story instead of the other way around. We'll always be on the defensive. And when we're deconstructing, we recognize that we've maybe been telling a bad story, but Paul is telling us here that God has a better story, a more beautiful story that we've been blessed with in Christ. So here's my final encouragement. Let that beautiful story move you. Let it move you. These words of Paul are designed to profoundly and emotionally move his audience. These first 14 verses are actually one sentence with only over 200 words in Greek. So it's like a long run-on. Paul's English teacher would not have liked him. It's all one sentence. But the idea you get from that is that Paul cannot stop praising God for the remarkable ways he has worked and will work in each individual life and in the world at large. He can't stop doing it. And his praise is expressed with deep emotion. And that emotion should move us. To speak candidly, when I've been in seasons where I've really been questioning my faith, a lot of times it's because I, like some of us, have reached a place in our faith journey where as I've gotten older, I've put up walls that have kept me from being moved by the beautiful story that's ours in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're the same. Maybe it moved you when you first believed or when you encountered him in this exhilarating experience of his presence. But as you grew stagnant, 
You resisted the opportunity to allow these blessings to move you. Often our avoidance of emotion has gotten in the way of reconstructing faith. And Paul wants to anchor the Ephesians and anchor you in these realities this morning and let them move you. That the love that the Father has for Jesus, he now has for you. That the gifts that Jesus has been given, you have now been given. That the victory Jesus won, you now get to participate in that victory over sin and death and all the peculiarities of life to which you've been entrusted. You share in that. This life that Jesus lived, you now live. Somehow, you are one with him and invited into the very life of God. Think of it. And if you're, so, you're here and you're, you're not even sure what that means, remember, Paul called it a mystery. And he's going to tease that out for us as we walk through Ephesians, so I hope that you'll stick with us through this series. Because reconstructing faith has to begin and end in Christ. Because in Christ, we've been generously given a better identity, a broader family, and a more beautiful story than we could ever imagine. Let that ground you. Let that embrace you. Let that move you as you walk through this week. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would meet us this morning. That you would surround us this morning. That you would awaken our eyes and ears and hearts and bodies to your presence with us this morning. That you would blow away the stalactites of stagnance with your spirit and bring new life to our weary bones and hearts. And God, I pray that until you do that, we would be able to be open and honest with you because we know you can't change someone that we're pretending to be. You can only change the real us. So help us be honest about the season that we're in right now in our faith. Help us find other people around us to walk through it with us. God, I pray that through the words of your Apostle Paul, you would give us a firm foundation to build our lives on. You would remind us of who we are in you because it's who you've told us we are. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of his spirit. Amen.